There is a deep sense of unease in our rapidly changing world. We all know something has been lost, but we don't know why or where it all leads. Popular culture tells us it is all about me and that we should worship our creations rather than the creator. In politics, the end justifies the means. In relationships, love means self-satisfaction. In life, status and appearance are what count. In the church, confusion replaces clarity and conviction. Our faulty and distorted view of God is at the root of all our problems within and without. But what if we viewed God differently? What if we saw him the way he longed for us to see him? Instead of worshiping a comfortable golden calf of our own creation, we can worship a God that is holy, wise, and just. One whose faithfulness and goodness are matched by his power and sovereignty over all things. This is a God that can deliver us from evil and transform lives. This is a God worth worshiping. The way back, the path of hope, starts with knowing God for who he really is. We need to know the real God. All right, so we, uh, we're here today. And uh, we are continuing in our, there you go, trust me, you want this to start, that's the timer that tells me when to quit. There we go, yeah, right, right, yeah, you laugh and chuckle, but you want that thing on. Um, so anyway, uh, we, we are, uh, we're jumping in here, and we started this series last week. Um, and so if you were here last week, uh, thrilled that you were able to join us. Uh, for the beginning. If you're just starting with us this week, that's great. I'll remind you that you can always catch up online. If you're ever curious or, or you miss something and you want to go back, you can always listen online or through that app that Malia talked about. You can, uh, you can always listen uh, to, to sermons that have been before. But, but what we're going to do um, as, we, as we continue in the series is we're going to keep exploring the question of who is God and why does it matter to us? And you'll remember that we jumped in last week, and this is the question that drives the series. This is what we're trying to find out, uh, or this is why we're trying to find out who God is, because we believe that this is a true statement, that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you, okay? And like I said I, before, for some of you, that feels overstated. For some of you, it feels like, you know what, what I think about God is important enough, but it can go in this box and I can keep it on a shelf and I can pull it out on Sunday mornings if I got enough sleep the night before and I can take it with me to church and when church is over, I can go home and before the football game starts, because I'm going to say some things at that football game that I shouldn't be saying. So I'll put it back in my box, and I'll put it back in my shelf, and, and God then gets reduced to this Sunday morning experience. The problem with reducing God to a Sunday morning experience is that it shows a woefully wrong view of who God is. And so that's why we're really delving into this in this series, and that's why we've encouraged you to go deeper 
um, each and every week as we talk about this. We want you to dig deeper so that you can start to have these discussions with people about why this is so important and, and how we should see God more clearly and how that impacts and changes everything. And so we continue today. Last week we talked about uh, ways to help us see God with 2020 vision, kind of to kick off our series. But today we start talking about specific attributes of the holy living God. And there's two categories this comes down to. So just a little bit of, of education here. Um, there are two categories that we're going to talk about. One is incommunicable. Okay, So there are incommunicable attributes of God, and there are communicable attributes of God. And so, bless you. And so what we're saying here, um, I feel like I'm obligated to say God bless you as the pastor with the microphone. But if you do it again, it's attention seeking. That's not fair to Megan. And I get 30 seconds back. Anyway, so, so here's the deal. So here's the deal. Incommunicable attributes of God are attributes that belong to God alone. Those are attributes that no one can share. They are his and they are his alone. Com incommunicable attributes of God would be his omnipotence. I don't care how much you work out. You will never be all powerful. Right? His omniscience. I don't care how much you study. You will never know all things. His omnipresence. I don't care if we ever get that transporter deal from Star Trek worked out. You can never be everywhere at once. Communicable attributes of God, though, those are the ones that we get to share at least a part in. Right When we read in Genesis 1, and we'll see this today, when we read in Genesis 1 that we are made in the very image of God, part of what that means is that we share something called communicable attributes, part of who God is that he gives us as part of who we are, the ability to love. I mean, we read in 1 John that God is love, goodness. Oh, hey, we're going to tackle goodness next week. Um, so I, I'm going to go ahead and put a plug in for that now. I, I want you to be sure that we're here next week as we tackle what it means to really understand the goodness of God. But that's a communicable attribute. We can share that, not perfectly. You will never love perfectly. Right? You're never going to be perfectly good in this life. But we are going to share that attribute with God. So that's communicable and incommunicable attributes. Um, and so uh, remember last week when I said that God is not a bigger, better version of us? When we have the wrong view of God and we think that God is a bigger, better version of us, what happens is we decide that it's the communicable attributes of God. We have it kind of. He has it in fullness. Therefore, he's the bigger, better version. But that doesn't take into account this idea of incommunicable attributes that you can't possibly ever share. Okay? That's why God is so much bigger than we think. Okay? And today we talk about one of those that is just, it's something we can't possibly share. And what we deal with today is the self-existence of God. That God alone is something that we would call self-existent. You might be more comfortable with the word eternal. That God alone, God is the only being, the only fact, the only thing that has ever existed always. 
When I was a kid, I watched the movie Willy Wonka is it in the Chocolate Factory, right? I never read the book, but I watched the movie, and big Gene Wilder fan. Um, so there was something in that movie that was called The Everlasting Gobstopper. Biggest lie since the never-ending story. Because it always I had a whole box of them. Every Sunday I'd get a box. I think I've told you this before. I used to go to Broadway Presbyterian Church with there's a whole family affair, and all of my brother and my cousins, we would all walk home to grandma's house from the church because it was like four blocks, but it passed a 7-Eleven and Aunt Helen, uh, who we affectionately refer to as Auntie Dearest. We'll talk later. Remember the movie? It was a thing. Um, minus the wire hangers. Anyway, we'd stop... We'd stop by 7-Eleven. If you've never seen that movie, you should watch it, and then you'll feel sad for me. Um, and then we would go, and, and, but Aunt, Aunt Helen would let us all pick out a treat from 7-Eleven, okay? But I couldn't have anything chocolate or anything that I was going to get on me. So I always got, uh, well, I didn't always, but oftentimes I would get Never or everlasting gobstoppers because they're just like little jawbreakers. You eat them. You can't spill those on yourself. You can't stain yourself. Um, I mean, I could, but I didn't often. And but what happened? They always ended. See, we struggle with this idea of eternal or everlasting because it's not in our realm of experience. See, the fact of, of us as human beings is this: we know what we experience. That's the way it works. If we can experience it, or we can at least experience it by proxy, that means we can watch someone else's experience. That's why we love books and movies so much, right? Because we get to live vicariously in these experiences that other people have. Or it's why movies that are emotionally charged wreck us, because even though it didn't happen to us, we're experiencing. But something that we can't grasp, because no human being can grasp this idea of eternal. And as we start to wrap our minds around it, we can maybe pick up on the idea of something that never ends. Like we can maybe figure out what that's like, or we can at least say we understand even though we haven't experienced it. But something that has no beginning, something that's never started, something that's just always been, that's beyond our ability to understand. That's why this is an incommunicable attribute of God. It's something we'll never share, this self-existence um, and so we're going to jump into this, and, and we're going to see what the Bible has to say about God's self-existence and why it matters. And I'll give you this heads up. It matters because it's all about why we're here, and it's all about how we're here, and it's all about what the fact of our existence means, okay? And so as we delve into this, I'll go ahead and give you this, this warning up front that we're going to get a little bit um, science-y. I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination, Okay, um, so what I'm going to give you is uh, synthesis of other people's um, research on some of these things, but I'll invite you to have a conversation with me if, if you want to do that, because uh, one of the things that's clear that we'll see as we go through this is that what we believe typically about creation is what we've been discipled to believe about creation. We live in a secular world where the wisdom of the age is foolishness to the things of Scripture, and the things of Scripture are foolishness to the things of the age. And that's what Scripture tells us. And one of the things that we'll understand as we get into this is that what we believe typically about 
creation and about the self-existence of God and the purpose for human beings is what we've been discipled to believe. Some of you here that are, that are teenagers, you're struggling with this right now. I guarantee you're struggling with it. You know what? I was a teenager. I, I get it. You've been discipled to believe two things. You've been discipled to believe that the Bible is accurate, but then at the same time, you've been discipled by the world, by people that are over you, by people that teach you, by people that pour into you, that the Bible is ridiculous. And so you're in this weird place. So I want to remind you, okay, that there's a point where you get to figure this out for yourself. When I tell you things, I don't want you believing what I tell you just because I said so. Okay? I mean, I think what I'm telling you is right, otherwise I wouldn't say it. But you don't have to believe things because I say them or because I believe them, but back these things up. Go and look. Do your reading. Do your research. Do your study. And figure out what you believe because this is critical. This is vital. Okay? We can't miss this. All right, so let's, let's jump in. We're going to start at the beginning. Okay? Genesis 1.1. Good place to start. Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And there's just a couple of things that we read just from that text alone, and we're going to get into John 1 in a little bit, and we'll see it even more, but just from that text alone, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We read this very simple thing, that God alone is self-existent. That's just a fact. God alone is the one who exists in the beginning. And by the way, that word for beginning there does not mean at the start, of all things. That word for beginning means at the start of this that we experience. Because really, in, in, in reality, there is no beginning for God. So what we could really be reading into that text is that at a certain point of time, God said, now I will start the universe. Okay, it's not like God was all of a sudden manifested and here he is and he says, you know what? On day one of my existence, I think I'll create the world. No, no, no. God has always been. He is self-existent. He is pre-existent. And then at some point in time, he says, you know what? I am going to create a universe. That's critical for you to understand as you see how he creates. Okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so there's a couple of questions that naturally come there. One is, did God really create everything? Okay, and here we have two divergent thoughts, and they're simply this. Either God creates everything the way Scripture tells us, or everything began an alternative way. I mean, that's really it. Those are, those are really the only two ways that we can land on this. Either everything happens the way Scripture says, and in the beginning, God, who alone is self-existent, creates. That means that God has no cause. Nothing caused God. This is why science, by the way, science and philosophy hate God. It's not their fault. We're not mad at science. By the way, the Bible and science, they don't contradict each other. You've probably been discipled to believe that they do. But science and scripture don't contradict each other. But science and philosophy hate God. And the reason science and philosophy hate God is simply this. Science is rooted in the ability to observe and understand. Philosophy is rooted in the need to know. 
And so scientists and philosophers have no problem telling you, they have no problem admitting that there are plenty of things that they can't yet know, that they don't yet know, right? A scientist will have no problem telling you, yes, there are things that we haven't figured out yet. Philosophers will tell you there is truth out there that we haven't realized yet. But what they won't do, what they can't do, what goes contrary to the nature of those institutions is simply this. There are things out there that are unknowable. See, when you cross that line, you start to anger institutions that are always seeking for truth. And so when I exist because my job is to discover how things operate and, and the cause of things and the origin of things and the way things are, and, and Scripture, I read Scripture and it says, you know what, there is no knowing this. It starts here with God saying, in the beginning, I created everything. Well, then what I'm saying is that there is something that cannot be known. And as soon as we say there's something that can't be known, we have conflict. That's where our conflict with philosophy and science comes from. It's not in the evidence that we have before us. It's not in anything that science has ever uncovered. It's not in anything that, that, that Scripture ever claims to be true. It's simply this idea that we're suggesting that there is something that cannot be known. And what cannot be known, okay, is what cannot be discovered naturally, what cannot be reproduced, what cannot be done is this moment in human history when God suddenly steps in and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It can't be reproduced. And that's where we have this break with scientific thought. That's, that's where we have this thing. We're not in conflict over what we have. We're in conflict over the idea that there can't be a knowledge. There can't be something that we get to. There's something we can't figure out. And it's really critical that you get that as we move forward. Okay, but God really created everything. He has no origin. He has no cause. God really creates from nothing. Uh, you don't really care, but it's called ex nihilo creation. It means uh, God created out of nothingness. Okay, so God, who has no beginning, created everything that exists out of nothing. Okay, that means uh, there was no matter, there was no energy, there were no enzymes, there was no bacteria, there was nothing that God used to, to pick up and kind of ball together and create something that wasn't before. There was nothing. God creates simply by the virtue of his will. That should tell you something about God's character, God's power. That simply because he wanted to, by the sheer force of his desire, God speaks into creation, the universe. And what difference does it make? Well, here's the reality. When we break this down and we, and we peel it all away and we look at it on the surface for what it is. As a human being, you either exist on purpose or you exist on accident. As a human being, you either have at your cause, at your origin, the God of the universe, the powerful God of the universe who spoke you into existence, who has a plan for your life, who wants good things for you, or you accidentally came to be. 
This has huge implications. You know who it doesn't have implications for? I got a dog at home. You've heard me talk about Charlie. I'm a little indifferent about our dog. My family loves Charlie, and I love my family, and we have a dog. You can ask Carrie, she'll tell you the story sometime about how I came home and was met at the door with the kids who weren't in school yet saying, hey, we spent all day at the pet store and mom said we could bring the dog home if you say it's okay. <laughs> or apparently I'll tell you the story. I, I just did. But here's the thing. How Charlie came to be doesn't matter to Charlie because Charlie's a dog. Doesn't matter to Charlie doesn't impact Charlie's existence one little bit. Charlie's existence is very simple. Your cats, you may love your cats. How many of you love your cats? I'll pray for you. You love your cats. <laughs> doesn't matter to your cats. To your cats, they have a cause, you. Everything revolves around you. To your dogs, they have a cause. Everything revolves around you. That's not how it is for people. Why does this matter? It matters because it changes everything. What's your reason for being? What's the reason that you exist? What's the reason you get up every day? What's the reason that you decide that life is valuable? What's the reason you decide to treat people in a certain way and not another way? This, what's the reason that you function? And it all comes from the fact that God, God alone, God creates. And he creates human beings special. Get this, in, in Genesis 1, we get to this point where he says, find it here in 26, then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Your version may say, man, don't let that scare you. It doesn't matter. We're not doing gender stuff here today. This is just, okay, don't. Let us create human beings in our image to be like us. No other part of creation has this said about them. So there's this minute, like, why does this matter to us? Why is it a big deal? Why does it matter what we believe about creation, right? We get this, this whole philosophical thing that says, well, I am because I am, right? The fact that I think about my being means that I am a self-actualized individual, and that's what philosophy has taught us. No, 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 no. You are because God created you unique and special in all of creation. And here's what he says, let us make man uh, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and the livestock and the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I've given you every green plant as food for all the wild animals and birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry around the ground. Everything that has life. And then the verse ends with this statement, and that is what happened. See, it's this creation that happens. And why does it matter to us? It matters to us. This is, the Bible teaches us this simply. God is self-existent. God creates from nothing. And it matters to you because God has said that human beings are special in his creation. That's not some poetic thing that we say to make ourselves feel better. 
We are not just more evolved animals than everybody else. No, no, no. But God specifically takes human beings and he lifts them up out of creation and he creates them specially in his image, meaning they share some of these communicable attributes. One of those communicable attributes that they share is the ability to reason morally and make moral decisions. And so we've been lifted and elevated above all creation. And more than that, God says, so here's what you do as my prized creation in this world. Here's why this matters, because you fill the earth and you subdue the earth and you rule and manage over the earth. And it's necessary. And we've got to grasp this. Okay? Let's keep going here a little bit. We get to John 1, 1 through 3, and we read this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Um, By the way, we know the Word here refers to Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity. So in the beginning, you could change that if, if it helps you process it a little bit better. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, Jesus was with God in the beginning. It's through Jesus that all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. Simply a statement that says Jesus was there at the beginning. Jesus is God, second person of the Trinity. God creates everything. Through him, everything is made. Nothing was made that wasn't through him. And this is where, again, this is is where we start to butt heads with the world that we live in because... Science and philosophy are going to tell you, okay, that there isn't anything that can't be known, and that it's our job as humans to know everything that there is, and that's, we spend billions of dollars on research, we spend billions of dollars on things like theoretical physics, evolutionary biology, all of these things, so that we can figure out how life started, because there can't be anything that is unknowable. But God says, no, 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 we already know the answer. You exist because I created. And it all comes down to your worldview. There are three kinds of worldviews for you to have. There's a biblical worldview. Biblical worldview says simply that you have read what's in the Bible. You believe what's in the Bible. Therefore, when you look at the world, you see it through a lens that says the Bible is true, God is real, this all happened. There's an anti-biblical worldview. The anti-biblical worldview says, I think the Bible is garbage, or maybe it's a nice collection of writings, but there's nothing inspired about it. There's certainly nothing God breathed about it. Okay, It certainly isn't God's word to us. It's just a book. It's just words that people wrote down. And so when you look at the world... This doesn't impact the way you see it at all. That's an anti-biblical worldview. By the way, when I say anti-biblical, we're not mad at people that have an anti-biblical worldview. We're not angry at people that don't look at this and say, oh, well, this must be God's. We're not mad at them. We minister to them. They're our mission field. They're the people that we're trying to reach and convince and and help them understand through the power of the Holy Spirit that that this is God-breathed, that this is literally God-breathed and that he has something for them and it's good to correct and instruct and help them understand who he is and what he desires. But we're not mad at people with an anti-biblical worldview. Here's the problem, though. Most people don't have a biblical worldview. Most people don't have an anti-biblical worldview. 
what most people have is what we would call a confused worldview. And the confused worldview simply says this. Simply says that I'll take parts of this idea and I'll take parts of that idea and I'll take parts of this idea and I'll fuse them all together in a way that helps me make sense of the world I live in. If I put them all together, it will help me figure out a way to process and understand the world. And so I take the idea that, yeah, there is a God. And I, because the church has discipled me to believe in the God of the universe. And I take this idea that evolution must be true because the world has discipled me to believe that evolution must be true. And so I take God and I take evolution and I take that thing that my, my seventh grade science teacher told me um, about, you know, Christians are nuts because we're not saying that man came from apes. We're saying that man and apes came from the same place, right? Um, I, I'm having a long argument with my, my seventh. By the way, try to be 13 and argue with your science teacher. I mean, I can argue. I can hold my own in an argument. 13, he was like 85 or like 40 something. But I still remember it vividly. I still remember exactly what he discipled me to believe throughout the course of that biology class. And so we take all of those truths and what, what those really smart people say on YouTube and what my college professors told me and what my pastor said and my Sunday school teacher said and I take them and I lump them all together and I push them all together and I put them on as glasses and I see the world through this confused worldview. That's where most of us come from. It's where most of us come from. The problem is that that's not seeing God clearly. It's not understanding our role. It's not understanding who he is. It's not understanding how any of this happen because the one thing that happens when we start, listen to me, Satan sucks and he's sneaky and he does it on purpose because the one thing that happens when we start to mess with the fact of creation, as soon as I start to mess with the fact of creation, even as a Christian, I start to say, yes, I'm a Christian, but the story of creation is not meant to be believed. It's meant to be you know, a guide for us to understand how the world started. As soon as I do that, well, then what good is this book for me anymore? Because everything else is up for attack too. Because, you know, this idea about Jesus saying you have to submit and surrender and follow me, well, you know, that's just a guide for how you're supposed to live a good moral life. And this idea about heaven and hell, well, you know, that's just meant to teach you that there's consequences for your bad behavior. There's not really a hell. You know, as soon as I start to waver on this creation stuff that's in this book, as soon as I start to wonder about Genesis 1-1 that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 26 through 31, that humankind is unique in creation and is made in God's very image, not further evolved than everything else, but God breathed. As soon as I start to waver on those things, everything's up for grabs, and that's what's happened in the world that we live in. That's why this matters. We have to see God clearly. 
but we believe what we've been discipled to believe. And the church is guilty of that to a degree, right? For a long time, the church has just told you what to believe and they haven't encouraged you to find out. In fact, we've, we've frowned at you, and I say we, not us necessarily, but the church by and large, historically, we've frowned at you when you want to take what we say and you want to find out for yourself. We've argued with you when you want to dig into science to find out what's really there instead of encouraging you. Like, listen to me, you never need to be scared of science. Because there is nothing that will ever happen scientifically that is going to contradict anything in here. The more people dig in to science, the more people dig in to evolutionary biology and theoretical physics and all of those kinds of things, the more people dig into that, you know what happens? The harder and harder it gets for them to refute what's in here. Shouldn't be scared of that. But the church hasn't been awesome at that. We've told people, here's what we believe, believe it because. Because we said so. Without using your brain, without figuring it out on your own. And culture has said, believe this, because the church is stupid. The church is nuts. The church wants you to believe in a fairy tale. But we've got facts at our disposal, and you've been discipled to believe that. Do me a favor, raise your hand if... In school, you were taught the theory of evolution as fact. Sure you were. Sure you were. And by and large, we believe what we've been discipled to believe. Here's the problem, though. It was really never debatable. This is, again, this is where Satan pokes and prods and twists and mocks and pushes and all of it. Look at what God says in Romans 1.20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. There are a couple of great things to dig into there. One of them is, what about people, you know, we're like, oh, we hate hell. Hell, we hate talking about hell. We hate the idea of hell. How could a good God send people out? We'll talk about that later in the series, by the way. Okay? We talk about God's justice, the character of his justice, but we'll get there later. But, but here's, here's one of the things, uh, and this verse will come back up during that Sunday, but um, nobody is without excuse. Why is nobody without excuse? Because the very fact that the world exists is a testimony. Think of it as someone coming onto the witness stand in a trial, someone coming onto the witness stand and giving testimony about the truth of something, right? So somebody would come up, a surprise, I love courtroom dramas. Anybody love courtroom dramas? A few good men? Come on. Apparently not. Eric and I, we're together. After I watch the Bears probably not win today, I might pop that in. But getting up on the witness stand and making testimony in a court of law that says, this is fact, this is what happened, here's the evidence. God's intention from the very beginning was that the world, the fact of creation, the fact that you exist, think about how weird it is that everything works. 
Think of the odds. That everything should just work the way that it does. That you breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide, that plants do it the opposite. <laughs> Lucky break for us, right? Or there is a great designer. And what God tells us in Romans is that the fact of creation, the fact that it works, that was always meant to serve as testimony to his existence and to his sovereignty and to his truth. But what's happened is in a fallen world, we've looked at this and we have found a gajillion ways to explain it that aren't God. And the more and more science we have, the more and more we think we're getting closer to figuring it out. But the reality is the more and more we're just firming up the fact that no, 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 no. There is an intelligent design behind what happens. And, and so what about evolution? So you, some of you are here, and some of you have heard me talk about this before, but we believe what we've been discipled to believe, but, but there we go. Some of you have been taught that evolution disproves God, at least the God of the Bible, at least the God of Genesis, at least Genesis 1, 1 through 3, if nothing else. So we've been taught about evolution, but there's two kinds of evolution. So I want to go over this with you so that you can be intelligent when you have these discussions and that you can know there's something called microevolution, and there's something called macroevolution. If you know this, it's fine. If you don't, then really key in here. Listen to what I'm about to tell you, but listen to my whole statement. Evolution is real. Okay? Like, if you stop listening there, then you're going to say some stuff to people outside the church, and it's going to get weird. Listen to everything I say. Evolution is real, but not the evolution you were taught in school. The word evolution just means change over time. I have evolved over time, emotionally, spiritually, physically. I have evolved over time. And over the course of God's creation, it, things have evolved. Okay? Evolution is fine. There's nothing unbiblical when you agree with evolution, as long as we're agreeing with something called microevolution. What microevolution refers to is this idea of changes within a kind, okay? Over generations, people get taller. We, we've seen it in, in certain types of birds. Over generations, certain types of birds in certain types of environments will grow longer beaks to allow them better access, whatever, okay? It's within a kind changes. Listen, there is nothing unbiblical about believing that. In fact, we see that. We see it in Genesis, in the creation story, that God creates everything in its kind. Okay? This is how it works. There's nothing unbiblical about believing in that. But what we've been taught as fact is something called macroevolution. That's large-scale change from one kind to another kind. This is the evolution that says we are taking you from a kind, a single-celled organism, to some other kind of organism, from a sea creature to a land creature, from a land creature to a monkey, from a monkey to a person. That's called macroevolution, large-scale evolution. That's the evolution that you've been taught is fact. 
But interestingly enough, when you ask for proof of evolution, when you ask an evolutionary biologist for proof of evolution, do you know what they give you? They give you evidence of microevolution. Well, there's this bacteria, and we do some stuff to it with electricity, and we add some elements and some proteins, and, and we do some stuff, and we get this other more advanced bacteria. It's still bacteria. It's evolution within a kind, from one kind of bacteria to another kind of bacteria. But what happens is we take that, and because we've been discipled to believe in this non-theistic world that we live in, and this God can't possibly be the reason because we need to be able to find out, then we have something called um, macroevolution that we're taught as fact because there's evidence of microevolution. And you just need to understand that that's what's happened. Okay? I mean, you can buy it if you want, but then your faith... That's right, because it's faith when you buy it. It's fine. You get to have that faith. But it's still faith. Your faith then is in what you've been taught and discipled by the scientific community, by the culture we live in, whereas my faith is in what, what I believe God says in his word. Okay? And, and we may not agree, but we're both rooted in faith. Make no mistake about it. It's the difference. When Darwin came up with his theory of evolution, and he wasn't the only one, he was just the first one to get there, but when he published his theory of evolution, um, he never claimed to have evidence of macroevolution. He had evidence from the Galapagos Islands of microevolution, and he postulated, hypothesized, that we would find evidence of macroevolution as the archaeological record expanded, as advancements in science happened, that we would find this kind of evidence we haven't. And frankly, it, a lot of it doesn't, hold, um, it doesn't hold a lot of intellectual sense either. When you think about something called survival of the fittest, and you think about organisms that change gradually over time, Okay. First of all, we've never found anything in the archaeological record um, of a half-changed thing. You'd think we would have by now, right? Certainly something in an intermediate step. Not only that, but small changes on the cellular level would actually offer no biological advantage or distinction. Um, they would be problematic. And so it, wouldn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we've been discipled to believe this is fact. Okay, and we're, I, I'm sorry, I know this is getting a little luxury, but I think this is necessary for us to understand so we can understand why it is that we can see God clearly through his creation and his self-existence. We get here. Um, the idea, too, here is, is that it's not just evolution, macroevolution, and, and the absence of evidence that we have to overcome if we're going to believe in a, in a creator other than God, if we're going to believe in random chance. We have to figure out... Not just how did life actually evolve from the single cell organism, but we have to figure out how it even got here. And so the scientific community will tell you, well, there was this big bang, and there was this protein molecules, and there was this pressure, and, and then there was this incident that happened where all of this came, and, and now we've, we've got life where we didn't have life. The problem with that is that the odds of it happening are so astronomical 
that it's not reasonable. They thought they had it. Thought they had it. Francis Crick and James Watson, some of you have heard me tell you about them before. Francis Crick and James Watson in the 50s discovered DNA. They discovered DNA and they, they, they looked at DNA and they were examining DNA and they discovered, aha, DNA is coded specifically with information necessary for life. And the way that it's coded together is what brings life about. So, right, by random chance, DNA kind of came together, okay, and it, it started life the way, that, the way that we understand it. And that happened in multiple different organisms and they all evolved over time. Uh, and so they've got it. They went on book tours. Uh, they did lectures at universities, told you all about how God is dead and not necessary for life, and we figured it out. The problem is, by the mid-80s, the more we'd studied DNA, the more we'd pulled it apart, the more we'd realized how intricate it was and, and how DNA for humans is different than DNA for monkeys and DNA for monkeys is different than DNA for cats and DNA for cats is different than DNA for fish. And it's all different and it's not interchangeable. And we started to figure out how unlikely it would be. And they started to do the math on these things. Here we go. A single enzyme molecule, the odds of that happening by random chance. Here's your math. 1.2 times 10 to the 11th power. That's 1 in 80 billion. That's just the enzyme molecule, but to create the smallest possible living organism. The smallest possible living organism. That's 10 to the 340th million power. That's a number I can't know. We've done the math on the odds. Would you like to know what they are? I told you about the hurricane and, and the Boeing 747 in the junkyard. Get this one. For that second number there, for that second number, that 10 to the 340th million, here are the odds. A human being in his or her lifetime, you could start them as soon as they can walk, crawl even, I don't care. Finding a single marked grain of sand in the entirety of the Sahara Desert. While blindfolded. Three times. You know who doesn't argue with that number? A culture that wants you to believe in evolution. That number is accepted. Nobody argues with that number. But what they tell you, what they tell you is that that has to be the way that it is because it's the only possible way that we can explain this because it's impossible to have something that we can't recreate or explain. Because it, it goes contrary to the idea that everything can be known. But listen, we do know. Genesis 1.1 simply says, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. Why does God create the heavens and the earth? God creates the heavens and the earth because, not because he had to, but because he desires to. And then at the peak of his creation, when everything has been good and everything has been right and separates this and that. And by the way, listen, some of you are like, yeah, I just can't wrap my head around a young earth. I don't care. I don't care. You believe in a young earth, believe in a young earth. Believe in an old earth, believe in an old earth. 
Some of you are like, well, it has to be six literal days. Some of you are like, well, there was a day, and then there was a billion years, and then there was another day. Whatever. Right? I, ask me later, and I'll explain to you why I think what I think, but here's what I expect you to believe if you're going to have a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, is simply that God created from nothing, God created with purpose, not with random chance, and God created human beings purposely unique in his creation because you have a role to play with him. Otherwise, I don't care how old you think the earth is. I'm not mad at you if you think it's 6,000 years. I'm not mad at you if you think it's billions of years. Because that's not the point of this. The point of this is to understand that God creates. And as soon as we understand that God alone is self-existent, which means God has always existed, God alone is self-existent, and then God alone brings, brings everything together, then we start to understand the value and the necessity of who we are. We're necessary for no reason other than the fact that God wanted us to be. Remember, like, okay, I started to tell you about Francis Crick and James Watson, right? And their DNA, God's dead tour, but then we discovered DNA. You know what happened? Um, Francis Crick wrote another book. Uh, and you can read it if you want. I wouldn't recommend it. It's called Life Itself, the mid-80s. You know what he says in his book? Because he finally figured out that this can't happen by chance. And the whole thing he always wanted to know is what's the purpose of life? And he thought he had it figured out, and, but in his book, Life Itself, you know what he came up with? I think I told you this once, one other time. Aliens. In his book, Life Itself, because DNA is so intricately coded to specific kinds of life that he's decided that those numbers are too astronomical, there's no way it happened by chance, and that's just for one, but for all different kinds of life, okay, it's too astronomical, but not ready to say that this is true, so his, his, uh, his argument in the book, Life Itself, was that um, some pri primordial living organism, okay, was sent by aliens to see the earth. Maybe. I don't know where they came from. When I say maybe, I'm being facetious. We don't buy that. My mother-in-law will tell you that's true. But she's just trying to get us in a fight. You've been discipled to believe things that don't rationally make sense. And I'm not telling you what to believe. Do your own research, check out your own things, but here's what I'm telling you. You get to bring your brain to the table and be a Christian. You get to have faith in Genesis 1-1 and, and be an intelligent person who rationally thinks things through. Ironically enough, you get to bring your, table, your brain to the table um, and believe in Genesis 1-1 and be an intelligent person because that's how God created you. And he created you specifically. This is the last thing you need to know. Ask the praise team to come back up uh, as, as we get ready to close this out. But, but here's, here's the deal. Um, and this is why this matters for us as we figure out how can we see God more clearly is because as soon as we understand how we're unique in God's creation, that God alone is self-existent, God alone has always existed, God alone creates everything. As soon as we wrap our heads around all of that, as soon as we figure that out, it starts to answer questions for us if we're willing, if we're willing to let it. It answers questions about why we exist. 
Have, I mean, have you ever wanted to know why you exist? It should. Oh my goodness, it should answer questions about how you live your life. Do you live your life to the glory of the one who creates you? Or do you live your life to some other means? As soon as we see God clearly, as soon as we understand that God creates all of it, and as soon as I understand that God chose to create us, human beings, intimately, lovingly, perfectly. Why? For no reason other than he wanted to. In his image, to have dominion over this place. Doesn't that, shouldn't that, if I really believe that's true, if I really see that clearly, shouldn't that impact the way I live this life? Shouldn't that impact the way I do things? And, and here's the other thing. It necessarily impacts how you prepare for what's next. Because if it's true that God is real, and if it's true that God created, and if it's true that God created with a very specific purpose for you in mind, then shouldn't that, if that's true, shouldn't that impact the way you live your life? Shouldn't that impact the way you plan for eternity? Shouldn't that impact the way you process every little thing that happens? We're going to talk more about God's goodness next week, and we're going to see how this all fits together. So I'd encourage you to be here for that. Would you let me pray for you now? And, and as we pray, uh, we're also going to ask the ushers to come forward, and we're going to collect this morning's offering. I want to remind you, if you're visiting with us today, you are under no obligation to participate in the offering. If you want to, that's great. But, but the offering that we take is for those that call Blessed Hope home. Um, and, and this is a way that we fund the ministries of the church. And I'm going to tell you this, the ministries of the church are all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ministries of the church are all about bringing life where there's death and bringing light where there's darkness. And so uh, if you're visiting with us, you can drop that note card, uh, that tear-off card in the offering plate instead. But uh, would, you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And we ask you for help in understanding. We ask you for help in not just figuring out what it is that we believe, but, but figuring out why we believe it to be true. Is it because it's what we've been taught? Is it because it's what we heard? Or is it because what we've, we've, we've explored? Father, help us to figure out what it is we believe about creation. Not because, not because we just want to be right. We just want to know and we want to be able to throw it at people. But Father, help us figure out what we believe because it will inform how we respond to you. What we believe about where we come from and why we're here will definitely impact the way that we see you and the way that we live our life. Help us to do that well. And Father, we pray a blessing for, for those that are hurting and sick. God, we know there are people that... that continue to recover from surgery, uh, that are dealing with cancer. We, we, we have people that are looking uh, for consistent, steady work, people that are trying to, to mend relationships and, and bring things together. God, we pray a blessing on all of those people that are earnestly seeking, people that want to know you. And Father, we ask you to bless our offering to bless it, multiply it, use it in real, powerful ways to bring your kingdom to this place, to bring the gospel to people that need it. Father, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for all things. Amen.